Greetings, friends. It's Chapo back again on this Monday, November 6th. And uh, just going to get right into it today. Felix and I are joined by a longtime friend of the show, Derek Davison. Derek, welcome back. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, always happy to do it. Wish it was under different circumstances, <laughs> but... Yeah, get, get ready for a fun episode. Um, I guess, Derek, Derek, I, I, I'd like to like, just like you begin here. And you're a guy who's, you know, in your career of observing empire and foreign policy. I, I just want to ask you to start thinking off. Have you ever seen anything like what we're seeing now in terms of like a U.S. and its ally doing something like what Israel is doing to Gaza right now? Um, I mean, the answer I, I have to say is no. Um, you know, obviously we've seen the U.S. do some terrible things. The U.S. and its allies did terrible things in the 1980s. I mean, I, I am an old, so I go back that far, but I was a kid. So, uh, you know, give me some slack, but I, it's, it's a combination of things. It's not just the brutality of what Israel is doing and the complete, and we could talk about, I think we're going to talk about this later, but the complete just disinterest in using any of the considerable leverage that the U S has to try and minimize the brutality, let alone, you know, uh, to stop it or give it a, a pause or anything like that. It's it's also the fact that everybody's like thrown in the towel on even trying to plausibly explain any of this to people. They, they're just like, yeah, this is what's happening. I mean, it, it, the, the efforts at like covering up or obfuscating or creating a justification for all of this are so bad. It just feels like everybody's given up even trying, which I think that in itself is is something that I'm not familiar with. I mean, you know, to go back to the post 9-11 period, it, it, there was there was a lot more effort going into like, you know, suckering people into to supporting the shit that we did after 9-11. Uh, right now, it's just, you know, it's it's uh, almost uh, its own kind of grimness that that we've kind of thrown in the towel on that end. Yeah. Um, with, with after 9-11 in Afghanistan, we all remember things like, oh, my God, we are going to teach the women of afghanistan how to have careers we're gonna you know <laughs> yes. we're gonna like spread our way of life to all these countries like that you know it was a bullshit rationale but it, you know it was some attempt it was some uh branch to liberals or uh you know center-right people to, to go hey this isn't just mindless revenge though there also is that and also i mean with those wars it was like we're going to capture and kill bin Laden and all these Al Qaeda guys with this Israel themselves are just saying the same thing. They've said the last four fucking times we're going to dismantle Hamas and, you know, we're going to show them they can't do this, which, you know, whether they are capable of dismantling Hamas or not is a whole other can of worms. But not like now it just seems like every time, a hospital is blown up or a bakery for that matter. It's just, I guess it's in some sort of like emotional manipulation tactic where they go, how would you feel if someone like kidnapped your blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean the human, that the hostages and the human shields is so insane to me because in no other circumstance would you conclude that, well, the right thing to do is to blow everybody up. Like, uh, you know, th these analogies, like imagine if somebody took your 
your kid hostage or they took a group of children hostage in a school and they were holding out in there, you would not destroy the school. Like you would not blow it up to smithereens. You would not blow it to smithereens and think, well, you know, we were justified in doing that. Like you, you just wouldn't. That logic would not be. Uh, even enter your mind right right like if i had to pick one thing that they they've decided for their sales job to everyone else and uh that's been picked up by their fans in america be they official or not official it's that bring them home thing it's you know putting up posters of all the hostages it's highlighting every individual instance where someone rips down the posters and it, it just it's sort of like trying to depoliticize it in some aspect where they're like, they're just missing posters. They're just, they're just missing posters for these hostages. What's, why would you take them down? Right. Like, like ignoring yeah. the incitement part of it. Yeah. Right. The incitement aspect and the fact that like, okay, well, I don't think you're going to find them in the Upper West Side. <laughs> yeah. And, and the fact that like Israel has probably killed all of them at this point. I mean, yeah, I mean, Hamas, you know, and you can take take it for what it's worth, but they say they've killed like 60 of them uh, in airstrikes so far. And that's out of 240, I think 240 was the last count I saw. Um, so, you know, you're 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 talking about one out of every four has now been killed uh, potentially uh, in airstrikes. So it's it's not terribly effective that I mean, the sign thing is part and parcel of this, like weird fixation that people have, like. Three weeks into this, when the death toll was already, you know, six six thousand or or whatever, and I, I still, you still saw people online like, "Have did you see the DSA statement from two weeks ago about yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. Can you believe?" And I'm like, "What the fuck are you talking about this stuff for? Like, you know, there, there's there, why is that the, the front of your mind in this particular moment? Yeah, it did, when they're not talking about hostages and they're talking about hostages, like. I don't know. It's a bank robbery gone wrong, just divorced of anything. But if they're not talking about them, they're talking about college. They're talking about college campuses, even sketch shows in Israel. Everything they're doing is about how gay college students are and how they love Hamas. Hi, everyone. We are live on YouTube with Columbia Antisemite News, where everyone is welcome. LGBTQH. H. Hamas. Yeah, I'd totally sim Hamas. Yeah. It's so trending right now. Columbia Unisemitism. Uh, that, was, uh, that was some fire. That was, yeah, that was great. That was, uh, cool. yeah. Um, <laughs> Derek, I want to I return to what you said, though, about how, like, in it seemed like in the first week of this slaughter, there was some pretense made at justification or an explanation for what we all saw happening right in front of our eyes. And that's been totally abandoned. And, like, by way of that, do you remember, like, the first hospital they bombed? And everyone was like, damn, can you believe Israel bombed that hospital? And then there was, like, a week of fucking debate about OSINT and fucking audio recordings. Right, right. And, like, oh, it was a misfired rocket. Oh, actually, it was a rocket that was intercepted and then dumped its payload on a parking lot full of people. And it was just like, okay, that was a week ago. They just blew up a pediatric <laughs> oncology ward today. And right, like, they've blown there's, up. Like, there's no. Th- I'm not seeing any OSINT. I'm yeah. not seeing any OSINT being offered about any of these uh, strikes of refugee camps, bakeries, ambulances, fishing boats. Like, run down the list here, and like, there's just there is no effort. It's just oh, they're the bad guys were there. No, they. I'm. I mean, they just on Friday attacked a convoy of ambulances outside of that same hospital, the Shifa Hospital. And acknowledged it and said, well, uh, Hamas was riding around in the ambulances. This is the group that has 
hundreds of kilometers of tunnels under every square inch of Gaza, uh, which makes every square inch of Gaza a legitimate military target, according to the IDF. Uh, They have all these places that they can travel safely underground, but they like to get in ambulances with the sirens blaring in the middle of an airstrike, I guess, just because that's a little bit of excitement in their day. And so we had to blow up this convoy of ambulances that was, according to everybody else, the Red Crescent, the UN, like everybody else, literally in, in the humanitarian community, was carrying patients to evacuate them from Gaza, to get them out through the, the south into Egypt. Um, and that that one was just like, yeah, we did that. And it was Hamas. Who cares? You know, fuck you. It strikes me if there was a coin flip, um, okay, either this is um, Hamas guys who are, you know, they're doing what we've all wanted to do. There's a crisis going on. No one's paying attention to the ambulances. They're going to get in them and turn the cherries on. They're like, all right, once in a lifetime opportunity. <laughs> I've always wanted to do this. I'm going to run so many red lights. You know, that's they're like, I know we're supposed to be in the tunnels. I know, like, I know I'm supposed to get the fucking RPG 29 or the Cornettes and, like, blow up these tanks, but I want to drive the ambulance. <laughs> it's either that, just... or it's a child who was crushed by rubble. If it's a coin flip between those, like, I feel like anyone would be like, let's not shoot a fuck, let's not bomb it with F-16s. Let's just, you know, let that one go, even though yeah, it let's might let be... it, let it play out. Right. Like, let's, yeah. Yeah, let's just see what, what what's going and, on there. And like this, this all happening because like, I mean, none of this would be happening if the U.S. did not completely sanction every single inch of it. And like we've already said, there are no red lines for the Israeli military. There's nothing we'll do to condition our military aid, let alone cut it off. Uh, the best they can do is like bleat out some limp uh, demand for a, a humanitarian pause. So everyone can like, you know, hit the showers before they get killed. But like, I, I guess Derek, like, I think I'm just so struck with here is like the position of the United States government, which has now isolated itself from the world in a way that like I, I don't think I've ever experienced. But not just the world; they have the, the United States government, and particularly the Democratic Party, has profoundly alienated itself from their its own voters. Like the weight of public opinion is so is so opposed to like what is again very obviously happening a deeply immoral thing to put it kindly uh that that the u.s is a party to that that really is the only reason this thing is taking place in the first place and i just like the thing that i keep coming back to over and over again is like it the most powerful superpower in the world and we're doing this all and we are just like in a murder suicide pact with our closest ally that is a basket case rogue state armed with nuclear weapons and run from top to bottom by terrorists and criminals I mean, like this just I, it really feels like we're in a murder suicide pack with Israel right now. Every time I turn on the TV and it is another horror that I just can't even fathom. It's just like we are isolating ourselves so badly from the world. And it's just like, is this the behavior of, of a world superpower? I mean, I suppose it is. I suppose this is exactly what empires do. But not when they're not in the not in the, you know, the, the, the salad days of empire. This is a bad, bad sign of things to come. No, I mean, the salad days of empire was the the Suez crisis when we told the Israelis and the British and the French to knock it the fuck off or we were going to uh, it was going to be hell to pay. Um, but but I mean, the, the counter argument and again, this is like how you, you, uh, to me, it's just like mailing it in the counter argument as well. Do you think Donald Trump would be handling this any better? And like, 
know, but could he be handling it any worse? Like what would be going on if Donald Trump was president that isn't going on now? And they're, they're so desperate to grab onto any straw and say like, look, we did this. We made it better. We made it a little bit better. And there was a quote from an exchange in the white house press briefing today from uh, John Kirby, who's the ghoul, who's the spokesperson for the national security council who said uh, like talking reporters and trying to claim a victory for the Biden administration said that Israel wasn't going to allow the Israeli government wasn't going to allow any humanitarian aid into Gaza. So the fact that like a trickle of it is getting in is a huge uh, victory. And it's a sign that the Biden, you know, Biden's doing the right thing. He's able to put pressure on these guys. This is like sadism. I mean, this is a government that, that uh, immediately when the, the attacks happened on October 7th, didn't just start bombing, but announced this total siege, no food, no water, no electricity, nothing, medicine, none of it was going to get into Gaza. And still, apparently, three weeks later or whatever, was was still on this. Like, we're, we're going to starve these people to death, 2.3, 2.4 million people. And it took, you know, I guess every ounce of diplomatic leverage that the U.S. had just to get like 20 trucks a day or 25 trucks a day of aid into Gaza and get the Israelis to agree to that. We're giving these people $4 billion a year in weapons, and we've asked for another $14 billion. And this is the people, these are the people we're giving it to, the people who want to starve this population to death and have no concern about letting aid in. That's that's just incredible to me. And like, I mean, I, I want to just, uh, the Washington Post today, a Washington Post from yesterday, a headline, White House frustrated by Israel's onslaught, but sees few options. First paragraph, as Israel's ground invasion of Gaza escalates, the Biden administration finds itself in a precarious position. Administration officials say Israel's counterattack against Hamas has been too severe, too costly in civilian casualties and lacking a coherent endgame. But they are unable to exert significant influence on America's closest ally in the Middle East to change course. We're unable to exert any influence on, on this client state that owes us yeah, and existence to our, our, our largesse and charity. Right. So... The strategy that like the Biden administration took, which I mean, I think everyone can agree at this point is the single worst series of choices anyone could have made in this situation. Uh, it's like, you know, charitably described uh, by his defenders as the bear hug strategy, right? Yeah. Get, yeah. Get like get really close to Israel, offer them tons of support, both uh, rhetorical and material, as if they could be offered more material support. And doing that will be able to convince them to, you, you know, not not make this look too bad. You know, that we'll have some leverage over them, which you know, A, as turned out, we somehow don't have leverage, apparently, over a country that cannot exist without tons of outside support, mainly ours. Like, pull the plug and it is withering and dying. But I feel like it was predicated on a very old idea. I think this is one of those things where Biden's extreme age shows. I feel like part of the calculation was, okay. These are the guys that win wars in like 42 minutes. They're incredibly effective and brave and competent. And um, also, look, Arabs can't think strategically or, you know, do an actual uh, insurgency campaign. Um, they're not the Viet Cong. So, look, this thing is going to look ugly. 
it's going to look bad, but only for like a week and then they're going to get it done and then we're on with business. And of course, that's a calculation you make with the Israeli military from 30 fucking years ago that Biden was probably thinking of as opposed to today, which is they might be losing tanks for years. I mean, Felix, I want to talk about that. The idea that like they were, I I think you're totally right and taken off guard at how bad this looks. And the thing is, they're they're now back themselves because maybe they thought what this would only last a week or something. They'll kill a few thousand people and then it'll just go back to status quo as usual. And the thing is, if Israel had done that, I think they probably would have gotten away with it. I think everyone would have been happy to go back and, you know, just forget about it. But the thing is, like they back themselves into a situation now with what the Israeli goal is here, which is just like genocide. Like, I think it's pretty clear that they, they back themselves into a situation where our closest ally is aware of the fact that it, to pursue its goals effectively, they basically have to kill every single Palestinian. Yeah. And then like, so, I mean, that, that's the only way that they can credibly win this war. But if by doing that, like it will seal Israel's fate completely and this country's. And like, that's what I mean by a murder suicide pact is like that they have backed that they have bullshit themselves so far into a corner that like, there's nothing Israel can do at this point that they, that they can get out of. Right. That, like like that they can pretend is something other, but like they, they're just committed to it now. So it's just it's going to look it's you know, if it doesn't look bad now, it's going to if somehow if this is even imaginable, it's going to look worse and worse and worse. Right. And you can't reasonably look at what's going on now and say that it's anything but, you know, trying to kill as many and make as many leave and, uh, you know, create total vacancy in Gaza so it can be turned into I don't know uh, the world's biggest EDM theme park um, <laughs> yeah. because, because like okay if the goal is to stop Hamas well they're releasing 40 videos every day where they're like it looks like Metal Gear Solid gameplay where yeah. they're, they're just it's... fucking drilling Merkavas so that didn't do anything I mean and you want to talk about you want to talk about like as a US taxpayer like, how does it feel to know that, like, our billions of dollars in military aid to prop up this absolute basket case client state cannot save the lives of a single person at a rave or living on a kibbutz? Uh, but, I mean, it can uh, annihilate a pedi- pediatric oncology unit. But, like, all the money we're giving to the Israeli army, like, they're getting no scopes right now. Firing, like, RPGs yeah. that probably cost, like, I don't know. How much does an RPG cost, Derek? Like, in one of those rounds, one of those munitions um, they shoot at these tanks. Oh yeah, you're uh, you're gonna make me Google this because uh, this is not uh, my area. It, but it isn't in the millions of dollars. It's I'll put quite it that way. a bit less than the tank <laughs> yeah. that you're destroying. Let's put it that way. And uh, the, the, uh, I, so yeah, you're talking about a thousand bucks, maybe a couple thousand bucks, and then the rockets are another you know couple of hundred. So uh, yeah, a little bit more cost effective than uh, the tank that's being that's being blown up. Can I just point out that the RPGs that we've seen them shoot? I mean, we've seen videos with Cordettes, which are um, they didn't have those before 2018, apparently. And they're, they're pretty cool. It's, um, you know, it's state of the art stuff. But um, the RPGs they have, they're RPG 29s that are made in Gaza. So like just made like you were playing the game Rust, like literally with just like things you found outside. Yeah, I just I don't think the Israelis were prepared maybe for Hamas to be able to, to mount a defense. I mean, you've had them under blockade for 17 years. And I guess the thinking was 
that that blockade is working. Uh, clearly it was not. Um, they've, I mean, it's worked in the sense that they've kept the, the civilians in Gaza in misery. I mean, they've denied them any chance to build a functioning economy or have a decent standard of living, but, uh, clearly it hasn't done much to limit the, the capabilities of Hamas to fight this kind of asymmetric, irregular conflict, which they seem to be, uh, doing fairly well at. I mean, I, you know, uh, I hesitate to to pronounce anything, but but you know it does seem like they're holding their own at least. Yeah, I um, Derek, I feel like a huge, I don't know, a huge factor in both Hamas's success, uh, at least with you know on the ground versus tanks versus um, whenever the infantry sometimes wants to leave the tank and leave the Merkaba Entertainment Console. And pause their episode of <laughs> fucking fucking Yellowstone. Oh my god! I would Boss love to see Legacy the, the, out the, now on Freebie, <laughs> season two. That was amazing. That was fucking amazing. That they they literally have a fucking Roku in that thing. Like what the fuck? But but like okay, th- that and like you know ten seven itself and, and, and like all this shit. It seems like. At this point, the catastrophic racism of the Israeli intelligence services and military literally got them killed because they they legitimately do not believe that like Arabs can think strategically and like, you know, fool them and, uh, you know, be brave or innovative or any of these things in battle or like, yeah, use deception they just thought of them as like just animalistically sprinting at them wearing a suicide vest. And that is very much not the case. I think it's, I think it's an element of institutional capture because you've had the politics of Israel shifting further and further to the right as the settler extremist community becomes more and more politically powerful to the point where now they're in control of the government effectively. I mean, uh, you know, ostensibly, this is a Benjamin Netanyahu-led government, and he's not of that community, but he's beholden to them for keeping him in office and keeping him out of prison. Um, so they have a, a good deal of leverage. Now, you know, they're they're reliant on him to have an entree into into power, but still, it's it's very much a a mutual dependency. And that crowd was more interested in diverting military resources to the West Bank to support this slow-moving annexation, to support these settler mob attacks on Palestinian villages and depopulating them uh, to you know, give people more homes to move into um, than it was in, in monitoring what was going on in Gaza or, or maintaining a presence at the, uh, the security barrier that could have, re- you know, if not stopped this before it got to those uh, kibbutzim, then at least have, have responded in a relatively um, you know, expedient way, which which they clearly did not. Like in terms of of the the propaganda videos that we're seeing from the Kassam brigades that we've alluded to, like Felix said, like this sort of the Metal Gear Solid quality of like these guys popping out of tunnels and just no scoping tanks, like point blank range, more or less. I'm wondering, Derek, like as the so called ground war begins, uh, I've seen a lot of commentary on the fact of like, isn't it totally suicidal to send armored division or like arm like armor 
into these dense urban guerrilla war environments without any infantry cover? What explains the fact that there is no infantry cover of IDF soldiers like boots on the ground, shall we say? It's like boots inside a tank. But then like these RPGs to turn it into a fucking like go through it like a fucking soda can. So like, what do you think accounts for the Israeli ground war strategy so far? So, yeah, it is it is suicidal to send a tank or, or a column even of tanks into an environment like Gaza without any infantry support, because as you see in those videos, some guy can just pop up behind them with a, an anti-tank missile and that's it. That's lights out. And if there's no infantry around to see that guy or, or you know, take him out before he fires the, the anti-tank rocket or whatever, then, you know, you're you're screwed. Um, I don't have a great explanation for why they're doing this. It's I mean, you would think the Israeli military would know better, except if it's a, a, a sense of squeamishness about taking casualties, which I could certainly understand. This is like the U.S. military. The Israeli military has come to be dependent on electronic warfare, airstrikes, drones, uh, you know, uh, you know, not just, you know, un, uh, unmanned aerial vehicles, but all over on the ground. They've got these uh, they supposedly had these, you know, unmanned uh, machine gun towers around the Gaza fence, which were defeated, uh, obviously, on October 7th. But they've come to be very dependent on these kinds of things. And that, uh, I think, is part of not wanting to bring home any stories of mass casualties and feeling like the public can't sustain that. It's not part of the narrative that we're trying to tell. In the U.S. case, it's, uh, you know, we've we've tried to assure, our government has tried to assure the U.S. public that, like, we can manage empire. It doesn't have to touch your life. You're not going to be at risk. Nothing's, you know, nothing has to change for you. Just let us and our all-volunteer military, which increasingly is, again, based on these unmanned systems rather than any human, risking any human lives. For the Israelis, the narrative was, the occupation doesn't matter to you. It shouldn't matter to you. Let us deal with that. We can ignore the Palestinians. We can make peace deals with Bahrain and the UAE and the, you know potentially the Saudis, which is where things were going before all this. And you don't have to worry about it anymore. Just put it out of your mind. Don't make it a political issue. Just let us deal with it. And we'll deal with it in the lowest cost, lowest risk way. And I think now they're, they're gun shy about, you know, they, there was an article or uh, something I read um, maybe yesterday about how they're not going to go into any of the tunnels, all these tunnels that Hamas has that they're uh, supposedly going to have to go in and smoke them out to finish the job and, and dismantle this organization. They're not sending any soldiers into the tunnels because they're afraid that they will take heavy casualties if they do. And so I just think it's uh, it's a it's a squeamishness about puncturing that narrative of, you know, this is all hands off. It's not uh, anything that will affect your life. And And if you start to see a lot of bodies come home, then, then uh, you know, it's hard to keep up that facade. I mean, leaving aside the, 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 the morality of either side or the justness of any cause worth killing or dying for, I mean, like, in the Israeli versus Hamas propaganda war, I mean, like, one cannot help but note, like, I'm, I'm, I know I should Felix this, but, like, to counter the dozens of videos of guys literally, like, running up to a tank reciting the Quran, placing a munition on the side of it and running away as it explodes... Uh, the Israelis countered that with a video of a dog. Put a, they put a GoPro on a dog and had it run in a tunnel. And it was and a it training just, video. It turned yeah. out to be a fucking yeah. training video. It wasn't even a real thing. Even if it wasn't a training video, that as a response. Like videos of, on the Hamas side, by the Qassam Brigades, some of the coolest shit we've ever seen. Like, I hope everyone can admit that, you know, no matter what side. Like, even if they don't care, it's like, 
you can you got to look at these videos and go that was awesome what that guy did that was so fucking cool the one where the guy pops out of the fucking tunnel and just drills the tank from 30 30 meters away like these are incredible videos um they serve an incredible propaganda purpose but their response to that to the destruction of accumulative billions of dollars of equipment destroyed officers killed morale tanked is our dog bit this guy <laughs> even <laughs> like even if it was real what the fuck are you doing <laughs> i don't i mean i don't know if they released if they they did that there there is this like western i, I think go you know deep orientalist belief that that like Arabs are afraid of dogs or something, or there's, yeah. something about, you know, like Muslims and dogs that, uh, they're scared of them. It's the same thing as like, you know, when, when a terrorist incident pops off in the West or something happens and, and you get some, uh, some guy who throws a pig's head at a mosque, like that's going to make <laughs> yeah. everybody in the mosque, like, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, uh, melt into uh, pools of liquid. Cause they looked at a, a pig's head. Like it's just, it's, it's, you know, this fucked up kind of orientalizing thing, I think. On some level. Yeah. Well, you know, a memo to the Orientalists out there. Uh, the, the Muslims, they are foe to dogs, but friends to cats who can never be defeated. <laughs> yeah. Cats will never be defeated or walk on a Quran. Yeah. Um, I like the, yeah, I like the idea of one of those guys trying to like project the Beethoven movies on the side of the building <laughs> to demoralize them. <laughs> Look at this, you bastards. I guess, um, We've talked before uh, about like the the potential for the, this to spiral into a much larger regional conflict, and I'm wondering, Derek, did you see the thing today about how the Houthis hit like launched drone strikes against Israel today and had, like s- sent drones across Saudi Arabia to hit airports and military bases in Israel? Like, first of all, like how credible are those reports, and like what do you make of uh, the, the Houthis seeming to you know jump both both feet forward into this conflict? Yeah, I mean, I've just sort of, I just sort of glanced at them. I haven't had a chance to really like digest what what they're saying. But is it plausible? Yes, it's plausible. It depends on you know a lot of things. You have to wonder if the Saudis knew that they were doing this or detected them and said uh, it's not our problem, uh, nothing we have to worry about. Because of course they've they've launched drones and missiles through you know kind of up the Red Sea. Uh, previously in the u.s at one point you know it was a, a little missile barrage the u.s shot it shot them down uh the israelis have used their air defenses in the in the red sea and, and so um it's interesting they went over saudi and d- does that mean that there was some level of like let's look the other way nothing to see here and let this happen or did the saudis just not know that they were doing it that's one question that i would ask and and i would also then you know follow that up by saying th- that's a that's a concern for the war in Yemen getting started again. I mean, this is a war that's been dormant since last April. Uh, they were in ceasefire, then the ceasefire expired, but they still haven't started, you know, resumed fighting yet. If, if there's a miscalculation, if the Houthis do something like that and there's a miscalculation, you could really have that war kind of kicking off again, which I don't think anybody wants. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that um, it, it's an interesting development. I think the Houthis are, uh, I saw some video where one of the, the Houthi senior commanders was like, we asked the Saudis to let us like march through Saudi Arabia to get to Israel and like carry out the fight. And they said, no, but we, you know, we were really excited. <laughs> That's a tough that. march. That's like, a tough march. Know, it to would do be a tough well. march. Yeah. Um, 
so you know, I think it's I think it's the regional. I mean, still the the biggest concern I would have in terms of a regional uh, regionalization of the conflict is Lebanon and Hezbollah, and and that was put somewhat to rest on Friday when Hassan Nasrallah gave his first speech about the the situation in Gaza since it it started and kind of kind of punted kind of said you know we're doing our part we're you know kind of keeping them occupied here on the border but we're not going to escalate at this point we could still at some point but it was clear that I think like uh, the, the tenor of the comments to, are basically like we're we're 100% ready for like an israeli and right. us like uh you know like attack on lebanon and hezbollah but like we're basically keeping things buttoned up right we're now. we're going to keep doing things you're going to keep it at at the level that we're keeping it at now which um, you know, but I, I think he did reserve the right for, uh, you know, to, to escalate if, if the situation in Gaza gets worse, but he's, you know, they've laid out a couple of times the sort of red line, the ground, there was, you know, a ground invasion was supposed to be a red line. And, and, uh, you know, I don't think they have a lot of latitude because of how, uh, just completely fucked up Lebanon is. I don't know that they have a lot of latitude to, to operate here without, you know, being provoked into something. So I, I guess I'd like to talk a little bit about um, uh, blasphemous as it may be, like domestic politics and like how this factors into, uh, you know, like everyday politics here in this country. And like, I can't, I, I mean, I, I'm not the only one, but like, uh, I can't help but be struck by the comparisons between Lyndon Johnson and Joe Biden at this moment, except Lyndon Johnson, uh, Felix, as you pointed out, had the great society and Biden just has kind of the meh society. But like, yeah. I mean, just like, the, the the image of probably a quarter million, overwhelmingly, I would say 99% of them, Biden voters marching in D.C. against a war being prosecuted by a Democratic president going into the election uh, is a year from today. And it just, once again, like murder-suicide pact here. What do the people in charge of the Democratic Party think? Like, how, what do they think of their prospects are when 80% of their own party is profoundly morally opposed to what the president is doing right now? Like, I, I just am at the point right now where it's like Biden has got to go. Like, I mean, I said that years ago, but like at this point, like there, there are DNC staffers breaking ranks. Uh, there are like there are members of the State Department. I mean, like it just I, it, it astonishes me that they think that they can keep this going. Had, I mean, the State Department guy who was part of his job was like authorizing weapons sales was like yeah. yeah this is too much for me like damn you know that's that's a pretty profound statement yeah i think i mean it, the, the lbj comparison is like uh you know we got medicare and medicaid out of lbj this time around we got like a slightly improved child tax credit for a year before they took it away uh it's a, it's a bit bit of a difference yeah i i i don't know what they're thinking except that they might still be thinking like Orange man bad. Everybody will come back. Like they're going to get over this. If it's I saw Trump, a poll yesterday uh, that said that that it's not like, going to matter. Biden is trailing in every swing state, and that like an unnamed generic Democrat would completely reverse that phenomenon. Yeah, like the overall poll was like Biden minus five in all the like battleground states combined cumulatively. Uh, but if you replace him with unnamed Democrat, which of course. Any unnamed Democrat is better than any actual Democrat, so right. gonna pull, it's going to yeah. pull better. But it was like plus eight. I mean, it was like a thirteen point swing uh, in favor of the Democrats in, in that scenario. Yeah, it was a massive swing that began entirely with this. It, it, it was like a ten point swing in some cases. It was fucking incredible. I mean, 
I really have to say, I never expected to see a swing like that in presidential politics based off a foreign policy event that wasn't like, you know, the Afghanistan stuff, right? Something where American voters take in actual disgust to something that one of our allies is doing. I mean, this has really been a a year full of things I never expected to see, but it, it just, he's at a point now just you know, Bush after Katrina, uh, yeah. Carter after he tried to explain Christopher Lash to America, like just all these, <laughs> all these definitive uh, collapses in very various uh, administrations. And what is he going to do to claw back? What does he have left? I mean, what I, is I, invade I, Tel Aviv? Whoops, I was wrong. Yeah, I, I mean, that's why I think the tenor, yeah. I mean, that's why I think the tenor of their public comments has has changed so much over the last week and a half or so. I mean, you know, what was it two weeks ago? You had Kirby doing, you know, press conferences where, you know, they were asking what do you, you know, is the administration concerned about the high level of civilian casualties? And his response was. Hey, look, man, this is what happens in war. Like, fuck it. What do we, you know? What can oh, and, we do? and also, just, and also we don't have any reason live to believe the, the numbers. Yeah. And also that, I mean, that felt like the low point. I mean, I, I feel like that started something in the administration where they were like, holy shit, like people are really mad at us for this. Uh, we, we have to like come out more forcefully in favor of this uh, invented half measure that we've come up with of the humanitarian pause. Uh, instead of the ceasefire but but we have to like really lay into it lean into it and say uh we're we're exerting all the pressure we can and we just can't uh gosh you know our hands are tied we're one of the victims here just like the you know palestinians like it's it's just i i do think that they on some level realize that this is costing them but they don't know how to pull out of it now and maybe they can't because they've already i think you know gone they can't they know they can't and they know that they're not going to do the thing that would like actually assuage people's anger over this, which is change chorus or, or bring bring the Israeli state to heal, to tell them to stop doing this. Or I don't know, maybe enforce a no fly zone over Gaza. But like, I, I, I think, I think we just, it's just it's their shock at how how none of this is working. And like to go back to the the propaganda war for a second, uh, all of the the arguing over the videos we've seen over the last couple of weeks of people ripping down missing posters in New York City, to me, is like a microcosm of everyone's surprise that like this doesn't work on anyone anymore. Because I, I mean, this is another thing that's hard for me to imagine. Like 10, 15 years ago, I would imagine like the, the moral shaming of like, how dare you? These are these are people. I have family in Israel. Like, you know, you're, how could you be so callous or whatever? I think people would have uh, sort of cowed under to that because they think, well, gee, I'm not a bad person or whatever. But now, like these videos are like counter propaganda for Israel because like all they show is just regular normal people like a halal cart vendor just grinning ear to ear and giving the double thumbs up as some guy attempts to berate and shame him. It's like nobody yeah. gives a shit. No one cares. Doesn't work. Yeah, it it, it does not work on people anymore. Um, they yeah, people can see everything with their own two eyes. But um, something with the Israeli PR effort that I think is underrated insofar as it, um, it, you know, they've completely bricked is there's a schizophrenic tone to it. Like, okay, after 10-7 specifically, pretty much for like half the month of October, the line was like most deaths of Jews in a single day since the Holocaust horrible 
how could the left support a you know the holocaust how how could you support this do you do you stand by you know families being killed and all this like the usual stuff right but then also it will be they'll uh israel account will post a picture of like stewie griffin being like I hate that vile woman, Lois, but she's nothing compared to Hamas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't it, seem like it, they're it, taking it, themselves seriously. Right. It's, it's like, okay, like, it's like, okay, do you take this seriously? Did, should I? Like, what the fuck are you saying here? I think it gets harder. I mean, it gets harder and harder to say, uh, you know, how can you say, how can you criticize us after what happened on October 7th when you've killed now 10,000 people, 4,000 of them children in your blind rage over what happened on October 7th. It's it's hard to continue shaming people and and make that stick for like somehow ignoring the the horrible thing that happened to start this when your response has been so violent and killed, you know, cost so many lives. You just, you know, it loses its potency, I think. Yeah, I mean, in the past, um the only way people could digest these events was through cable news and cable news had an existing protocol for how they frame airstrikes. Like I think for a very long time, people legitimately believed that airstrikes, at least by Western or in Israel's case, a self-proclaimed Western style country uh, and all the implications that carries um, that they're precise, they're high tech. A lot of uh, they, they went through a lot of trouble to note how, how you know state of the art the technology behind the airstrikes was and now you know you can talk about that as much as you want but when you're looking at like the abject fucking human misery and mass death and crying children you know you know that no matter what computers are on board the f-16 this is the result they're leveling this place Right. And there, there is this effort to define away the idea of civilian casualties. And the Israelis have, have done this in past conflicts. They're doing it now when, when they issued that evacuation order a few weeks ago and they've repeated it since then. And they've, uh, you know, they've tried to clear everybody out or they say they're trying to clear everybody out of North Gaza and get them into the South where they're still bombing, but you know, they're not invading at least. Um, it's, Part of the rationale behind that is because if you if you say it enough and especially say it loud enough in English for an English language Western audience, you can eventually say, well, look, we've warned these people, you know, 40 times to get out of here. And if they haven't by now, they must be Hamas or they must be Hamas sympathizers. So it's OK if they die. And I think they've tried to do that, but that's not working either because you see these images of cratered out refugee camps with kids being pulled out of the rubble the bodies of kids being pulled out of the rubble it just doesn't work and it's it's also you talked about cable news the script on cable news in the past every time uh, one of these conflicts has happened or one of these these uh, you know uh, massacres has happened has been you have mo all you know 80% maybe more of the guests you bring on to talk about it have to tow the Israeli US line. And then that remaining 10, 15%, 20% maybe who you bring on for, for balance who are usually Palestinians or Arabs. When they come on, you put them through 
the litany first. You make them denounce Hamas. You make them denounce all this stuff. You have to put them through their paces before they're allowed to speak. And I don't think that works on people anymore either because of because there are other ways to get information. You don't have to go through that filter. Yeah. And I think I'll say on the uh, the death toll, like uh, I've seen 10,000. Um, I'm sure the actual death toll is much higher than that. Uh, the it, yeah, Israeli it almost media, certainly is, the, yeah. The Israeli media, though, and like their running counter of their like KD ratio has it at 20,000 terrorists yes. killed so far in their war. And were that true, there would be not a single person left in Hamas. There would be a single uh, person firing rockets at these tanks. You would think like, yeah, if they were all terrorists, yeah. the, the three year old terrorists are, are the ones you got to really watch out for. Well, I mean, like, w- Derek, we're at the point now where I'm seeing like uh, surrogates for the Israeli military and government go on TV and say, can you really say that all children are unarmed combatants? Can you really yeah, say no, I've seen that, uh, that, that Nick yeah. U Ward weren't, um, wasn't in some way uh, complicit in the uh, acts of October 7th? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen that on, you know, there's been some really wonderful uh, work on this on Twitter. Uh, some really just complete morally bankrupt people uh, talking about, you know, well, the child deaths. I mean, uh, you know, you put child in quotes. But uh, that's because, what I mean. You know, is like Hamas it, recruits. Yeah. Two weeks ago, they were saying we aren't killing any children or civilians. Right. And this is all propaganda. And the death toll is, uh, is you know, fraudulent in some way. Now they've doubled the death toll in their own count of it and are just saying that there are no civilians. They're not even trying yeah. to deny what they're doing. Yeah. The, uh, Brian Mast, who um, he's the uh, representative uh, who he served in a unit of the IDF. He's not even Jewish, by the way. Uh, I, I want to point that out. He served in this unit of the IDF that strictly exists for middle-aged men who are usually evangelicals <laughs> who are golf brigade <laughs> basically basically well even worse okay <laughs> it's for middle-aged men who are entranced by IDF babes like the kind <laughs> of guy the kind of like guys who you know when they look at an extremely pixelated meme on like Uncle Sam's pissed off warriors on facebook you know see a picture of an israeli uh instagram babe go you're a deadly enchantress Uh, you'd be the last thing a muslim ever sees he'd be lucky for those guys they can join 72 versions that look like you (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) they join this unit where all they do because they're fucking middle-aged men is like donkey work they just carry around supplies and load them into <laughs> trucks and shit Caddy shack. And, yeah yeah and, and every once in a while the idf babes will like wrap to fill in around them even though they're gentiles to be like you know you're <laughs> you're righteous among nations you're helping Big defend israel box, <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> Oh, I will be saying happy holidays from now on to honor your people. (laughs) And they they, like Brian Mast was in this unit uh, of just, you know, IDF interns, I guess. I don't know what the fuck this is, Um, but he has the uniform from his service doing this and wears it to fucking where's wore it to where's Congress. The, where's the uniform of a foreign on army TV, on, yeah. <laughs> on this floor of Congress, which I is not like something I personally give a shit about, but I can imagine someone else making a, a, a concern out of it. I feel like foreign army 
at least for what he did, is stretchy. Like I foreign <laughs> UP foreign <laughs> UPS foreign auxiliaries. <laughs> yeah, foreign, like. yeah. But, but he like okay. So yeah, he wore he wore that dumb shit to to a session, and he made a fucking speech on, on the floor of the house and said all this talk about Palestinian civilians and children. Would we say Nazi civilians? And it's like no, we would say you... German civilians. Like what the fuck are you talking yeah. about? And it, that is like if I if I you know believed in institutions and shit, I would say that's absolutely like grounds for expulsion. That's like an insane, fucking racist, awful thing to say on the floor of the fucking house. Like just that these people are like biologically terrorists, but no, no, no one gives a shit. I mean, that hasn't gotten like you know one one millionth of the coverage of uh, uh, Representative Talib's uh, from the river to the sea, uh, you know, endorsement. You know, so like yeah. that's another another good example of uh, where things are at in the media. But again, I just need to underscore that none of this is working. A quarter million of Biden's voters are protesting the largest anti-war movement since George W. Bush was in office. And it's the Democrats holding this fucking bag right now. And as long as we're talking about them, I have to bring up that like Biden, like I, I think on some level, it is not just cynicism. I think, I think on a real level, he genuinely does like and believe in Israel, which is not yes. an excuse by any yeah. stretch of the imagination, but it's legible for a man of his age and who's been in the U.S. government as long as he is. Barack Obama, on the other hand, and I got to say, in a week of nauseating mm. media spectacle, his comments yeah. to the Pod Save America boys took the cake for me in terms of the most morally reprehensible thing uh, statement made by a public figure. The thing is, Obama, we know for a fact, doesn't particularly like or care about Israel at all. And if anything, is was sympathetic to the Palestinian cause. And he's aware of all this and just doesn't care and has this attitude. What he said to the Pod Jumps is that we're all complicit in this in some way. And so if you want to solve the problem, then you have to take in the whole truth. And you then have to admit nobody's hands are clean, that all of us are complicit to some degree. Yeah. Really? I was president oh. for eight years. Oh. Like, yeah. I was president for eight years. Like, you know, I mean, there's a little blood on all our hands. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. No, he uh, literally frankly, said we're yeah. all to blame. Yeah. Like, okay. Sure. Sure. And, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, just the, the, the I mean, fucking- he, he wrote about this in his books. He wrote about it. This is what's so flabbergasting to me. He wrote about this shit. He wrote about the empire. He wrote about all of the stuff that we talk about. So it's somewhere in there. He knows this shit. And yet, he chooses to 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 do to be this institutional just kind of like hey check me out on spotify like i don't want to yeah. to i don't want yeah, lo- to yeah i'd love to hear your music recommendations obama like in in between you saying that like uh, on social media you can only tell uh, one part of the truth and not not the whole truth is that uh, we're all complicit in the massacre of palestinians and then, like, they're them just sagely nodding, going, "Wow, what a, what a, what a, what a brave, difficult thing to say." It's just like, no, you underwrote all of this. Like, I, I simply have to stress again: Israel would not exist, nor would it be behaving in the way it is now without one hundred percent U.S. support from both parties. Can I just say that Obama, um, he, you know, not only wrote about this when Obama was state senator, 
uh, in Illinois, the state senator representing Hyde Park, he went to conferences on Palestine. He spoke there. He knew a lot of people in the movement. It, it is not just that he knows better. He, at least at one point, knew a lot about this conflict. He knew a lot of the things that Israel did. He knew way more than most people, most elected officials. Um, so his presidency and his posture now is just like especially stomach churning. Like it, it, it's sort of like the Reverend Wright thing in a way. He, you know, took these, he took these stances or had these associations that they were useful to him at a time. They portrayed to whatever set of voters he was trying to impress, you know, a certain broad uh, set of left wing sympathies or, 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 you know, an awareness of something that other electeds would not have. And then when he wanted to jump up a level to the next uh, the next smattering of voters, he would very publicly shiv the last person he wanted to be seen with. He's just one of the most shockingly cynical people. Uh, that we've had in office in, in the last 50 years. It's astonishing. And uh, as I was talking about my favorite, uh, my favorite media hits of this week, I have to give a special shout out to a guy that, you know, I don't really, we never really do reading series about him because he's just too boring a writer and thinker. But I really do have to give a shout out, a special like Hall of Fame, uh, Hall of Fame performance this week from Jonathan Shate, who in the space oh of two God. days wrote one column about how George, uh, sorry, uh, one column for George Bush got Freudian slip again. He already wrote that column. He wrote a column for New York Magazine about how Joe Biden is behaving as, as he, Joe Biden is the kindest, warmest, bravest, most moral person I've ever met. And he was saying, Joe Biden is a decent man in impossible circumstances. And then the next day to commemorate Bobby Knight dying, had a whole column about how Bobby Knight is an immoral monster. And he's just like, congratulations, John. What a brave fucking stand. You, Bobby Knight is an asshole. But like, oh, wow. Thanks. And that, Felix, as you pointed out in the Bobby Knight column, he, one of the, one of the uh, checks against the moral legacy of a basketball coach is that he legitimized Donald Trump by supporting him for president. Yeah, that, part, that part was amazing. He literally says he, he gave Donald Trump legitimacy by adoring. Like, there, there was someone who was like, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's like I voted for Bush in 2000. Sometimes I vote Republican. But like this Muslim ban stuff and like some of the stuff he says, it just I can't support it. It just and he doesn't seem serious. Wait, the guy who who throws chairs and like chokes players, he likes him. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm on the. Yeah, Trump that's train. it. I'm, I got it. You know, it's it's I mean, it's it was wild that he wrote that column. It's like. You know, look, I know killing, you know, 9,000, 10,000 people is bad. But have you ever taken three technical fouls in a game against <laughs> Illinois and gotten thrown out? Like, you don't know what monster yeah, is yeah. until you've seen yeah. it. Oh, man. And I don't one, know, of like, the, one, of the, one of the things in that, in that article is he brags about starting a, a, a chant at one of the games he went to. <laughs> from the That's river right. to the sea Indiana <laughs> University will be free <laughs> I mean talk about a life filled with accomplishments now, I'm tired of this shit I'm sick and fucking tired of an 8 and 10 record I'm fucking tired of losing to Purdue I'm not here to fuck around this week and it's not so much that 
all of the same clowns who supported the Iraq war are back to tell you about how moral, how, how, how morally Israel is conducting itself right now. But it's just like, forget the opinion people. It's just the headlines that you see in the New York times with like blast that occurred near hospital, uh, kills dozens. Uh, Hamas says it's just like, yeah, everything they, is just this is like a game. The of one telephone. this week was e- explosion that Gazans say was an airstrike hits refugee camp or something like that. I'm just like, what is, as if I couldn't think any lower of American journalists, like it's bad enough that they're giving cover to this genocide, but like a a feature of this genocide is the outright targeting of Arab journalists and their families. Like the the, the conduct of the American media right now is just giving a green light to their colleagues, is green lighting their colleagues and their families as like, as a legitimate conduct of war. I mean, it's it's staggering. I, I, it is staggering. I, yeah, the moral you have to ask vacuum. whether whether they think of them as colleagues. Frankly, I mean, you know, at least at the level of like the elite newspaper writers and and cable news guys. Like, do they really view the this guy at, at Al Jazeera or this guy who's reporting for Palestinian? Well, I, I can't imagine how that they really backfire. see them as colleagues. I can't imagine how that could <laughs> yeah, that kind of I mean, backfire. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, like, with our own State Department now um, greenlighting journalists as combatants in war, and then also hospitals, schools, churches, whatever. I mean, like, if we ever have to fight a war against a, like a reasonable opponent, like, I, I really hope that this doesn't come back to haunt us. Yeah, you have to. You know, I'm sure it's fine. I mean, we're 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 protected. We're we're untouchable. That's that's the attitude, anyway. I I thought that like you know we had seen you know, the most disgusting war of this uh, after the Shireen Abu Akhla killing, where it was like, they did the same dance that we saw, like with the hospital, with everything, where it's like... Oh, and then analyzed this video and uh, concluded that the angle could only have become from the, behind her. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Uh, wow, and the impact point looks like a 7.62 round. That, that's <laughs> that, 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 all that shit. And then like, of course, of course, like weeks later, after it's not dominating the news cycle, they're like, Ah, uh, we might have actually done this. Our bad. And then, yeah, I mean, and it was like we, we, you know, maybe it was us, but we, we decided that we didn't do it intentionally. So, uh, you know, uh, what do you want to, what do you want from us? We're not gonna, yeah, nobody's gonna and, get 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 in trouble for it. And if that was like, and then they sent police to beat the shit out of mourners at the funeral while they were carrying her, literally coffin, coffin flopped her. Had riot police yeah. coffin flop her at her funeral. Yeah, just like. Picture any other country in the world doing this, you know, like any other country in the world doing any of this, like a country in a, the span of a month um, hands out assault rifles to uh, racial terror mobs that are backed by the state and guarded. U.S. provided troops. assault rifles. U.S. provided sends people to the funeral of a journalist they killed to beat the shit out of mourners and tear gas them and arrest them. For just no cause, yeah, just shoots a journalist in the back of the fucking head. Any other country in the in the world doing this? Any of them? It just it's incredible. It's fucking incredible. I don't really have like the language or emotional bandwidth to process how much of a coward and a simp you are to support Israel right now. Like I just th- there aren't words for the shame that that should bring to you. If you have even a, even a halfway decent thing to say about Israel, or if you feel any sympathy for them, I yeah. really I, I don't know what to say. I mean, like they, they are. I mean, like a, a murder suicide pact. That's all I'll say again. 
Uh, yeah, and it's, I mean, you know, it's its uh, sucking attention away from our other wars, so. Well, Derek, I wanted to ask you that. That was the thing I, I wanted to, to close out this conversation with, because, like, if, leaving aside, like, the horrors of the war itself, but in, like, the geopolitical grand game of things, is there a bigger loser in all of this than uh, the Ukrainians and Zelensky? So, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this. I, I don't think so. I think they stand to lose the most. And I don't want to say that, the shift that's happening there. And I, if people haven't seen it, there was a big NBC news splash last week about the, uh, you know, the U S and uh, some other European leaders are, are sort of starting to have some, some tough talks with their Ukrainian counterparts about maybe having to come to grips with, with doing a peace deal with Russia and giving something up in the process. Um, I, I it's not just this war. I mean, there are a, a bunch of factors going on here. The the war in Ukraine is a stalemate. Uh, even the commander in chief of the Ukrainian military said that last week uh, that they're they're stuck in a you know there, there's there's very little movement and it, there's not likely to be very much movement anytime soon. So they're in a stalemate. Uh, that big the big counteroffensive didn't work the way that the Ukrainians and the the you know the U.S. and company were hoping. And there was no, there was obviously no planning for like, what if this doesn't work? They were putting all their eggs in that basket and it failed. The political situation in the U.S., as we've seen, is uh, veering between dysfunctional and, you know, hostility toward uh, continuing to arm Ukraine in the the House. You've got uh, on the rare occasions when they actually have a speaker, the speakers have to promise not to, uh, you know, send more weapons to Ukraine. So that's that that. You know, gravy train is starting to run out. Um, You've got changes in European politics. There was a a window there where Poland, which has been one of the most kind of on the Ukraine, you know, on team Ukraine uh, countries in Europe, they like had a complete falling out. Uh, Now that Polish government is probably going away and they'll be replaced with a a more uh, Western oriented government that will probably, you know, go back to arming the Ukrainians. But but still, like you, you, it, it wakes you up to the fact that there are these political changes that can happen uh, on a dime in the West. And it happened in Slovakia, which is not a huge player in this. But again, just reinforcing the idea that, that all it takes is one election or, uh, you know, one thing to go uh, in a different direction. And Ukraine is suddenly, you know, going to be vulnerable. And that's why, you know, maybe it's time to, to wrap things up. And, and it has definitely been uh amazing to watch you know the instant that this started in gaza Zelensky start jumping up and down and waving his arms like yeah i'm still here i'm still here like everybody don't don't forget about us um but i think yeah this among this is one of many things that has israel wouldn't even let him visit the country they told him to literally go fuck himself right you you gotta feel bad for the guy in that aspect because he's been like in his position he has to you know he has to just say like everything Israel's doing is good. I support them 100%. It's this, my fight with Russia. It's the same as Israel's fight with birth rates, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And and like (laughs) when he, when he went to Israel, do you remember that? They fucking hated him. Yeah. They were like, first of all, really, you know, challenging relationship for him. Yeah. Like they were like, first of all, put on a fucking suit. (laughs) <laughs> second, of all, second of all fuck you and he like yeah no his his time in the sun is over and like again it does all the people who who screamed like last year like 
no, there should never be negotiations. We need to push this as far as it can fucking go. Like, okay, what about now? Like, I mean, the terms yeah. of the deal being offered now are, are probably, probably a little worse than the terms being offered in 2022. Yeah. Oh my God! I, you, yeah. you have to you have to think so. I mean that the the terms of a deal that you could have gotten last year after like the Ukrainians had taken back, all, you know, all ver- like all the entire northeast of the country and like had driven the Russians all the way back almost to the to the original Donbass uh, segment that they were you know they controlled and and uh, like if you had, if you had struck at that point and said, you know, let's, w- what kind of deal can we make right now? You have to believe that the terms would have been more favorable than whatever they're going to get at this point when Russia is, is really, you know, if, if there is, a an edge here, it's on Russia's side because they can survive a stalemate a hell of a lot longer than the Ukrainians do. They have more men, they have more material. Uh, there's no question that, that in a conflict that's just frozen like this and kind of everybody's groping for an inch here and there uh the russians can outlast the ukrainians in that contest so they've got the leverage now yeah like the russians also the advantage of like not having to depend on like who's speaker or who's president and like god just like think about all the people who have died since that point in 2022 when they could have negotiated for nothing yeah nothing and look, it I mean, it's not like sucks, any, dude. and it's not like it's any like uh, endorsement of Vladimir Putin. And I know the conduct of this war is uh, very different than the one taking place in Gaza. But the fact that the Israeli military has already killed more civilians than Russia has in the entire conflict in the span of less than a month is sobering. And it's certainly yeah. like it, it, it puts into light the moral commitments of the United States government. And I guess like Zelensky and Ukraine. I mean, could provide here like this is a bit of a warning to Israel and our other client states who get gassed up on our you know diplomatic and military cover is that anything we give you is a poison chalice to drink from. And like, you know, whether it's the state of Israel, like if it's entirely contingent on U.S. support. Well, I got news for you. Like, it's not going to be there forever the way things are going. And they're only and I said, like, I think they're aware of that. And I think they know that, like, their only option aside from, I don't know, not killing people and living peaceably with their neighbors is to kill everyone possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's to kill or at least put them someplace else, put them in Egypt, put them wherever, but, but not to have them in, in Gaza. I think that's clearly one of the options on the table that's being kicked around, despite the fact that there's a lot of opposition to that outside of Israel. Uh, I, I just don't, I mean, they don't, they themselves, I don't think know how they want this to end. And that's, that's definitely one of many possible scenarios. Yeah, and in the event that it is like, okay, this is it, we're going to kill as kill as many as possible and expel more with the goal of like, you're gone, this is it, final solution. How does that like not turn into a regional war? That that really forces everyone else's hand because like if you don't intervene then, you know, if you're Hezbollah or if you're Iran, then like what are like then you're never going to do it you kind of lose all legitimacy yeah i i definitely agree with that i think there's uh, there's a, a point where you push this to the point where the iranians who are you know ultimately the you know the the threat that everybody's talking about feel like their credibility as protectors of the palestinians as you know kind of the the anti-colonial anti-western force in that region uh, is is going to be gone if they don't 
if they don't do something. Yeah. And that is especially horrifying. Uh, you know, if a regional large regional war wasn't scary enough, Israel's policy, if they experience a devastating enough military defeat is it is the equivalent of punching your monitor after losing a CSGO game. They will just randomly nuke a country in the vicinity, like just drag everyone down with them. That is their. I mean, I think policy. the Samson doctrine is a very like it's not. A, no, I wouldn't say yeah. I mean, I'm not going to predict it, but like I would say the Samson option is one I've been thinking about as I ponder the death spiral of both Israel and America right now, because they're quite clear on that. You know, if they can't have their toy, then they're just going to break it and no one else will have it. I mean, there was an actual cabinet minister, their minister of um, heritage, I think, who said in a cabinet meeting that, you know, nuking Gaza is on the table. Netanyahu kicked him out of the cabinet and like said, he's not allowed to, you're not allowed to be in the cabinet until the end of the war. Like shut the fuck up. But um, it's it's out there. I mean, it's clearly something that people are talking about. Yeah. How the idea that it's like, how are we going to get the 14 billion dollars to them after? I don't care if he was kicked out of the cabinet. Like, how are we giving them money after that? It's all of this. I mean, how are you giving them money after they said we're not going to let these people have water? Yeah. How how are you giving them weapons after that? Like these these how are you how is your approach to this conflict? On the one hand, we're going to give them an extra 14 billion dollars in weapons while at the same time we try desperately with every, you know, ounce of persuasion in, in us to convince them not to slaughter everybody. Like what how do these things how do these two things coexist in somebody's brain? If you have to go to those lengths to stop a, a complete massacre, then you shouldn't be arming them. Like what the, what the fuck? All of it. The entire thing with it is, yeah, obviously that first and foremost, but like also is Israel's problem that they don't have enough military resources. You know, that's all. That's <laughs> yeah. always what struck me about that. Like is, is that the problem here? I mean, and their response every time a, a, a U.S. politician or a you know a pundit or somebody suggests that maybe we should condition aid on you know creating a Palestinian state or human rights or something, their response is always like, "Yeah, yeah, go ahead. We don't need it anyway. You know, go ahead. We'll, we'll just be free to do whatever we want." Then, and like, okay, <laughs> at least at I least mean, I, I won't I'll- be bankrolling at least i'm not going to be underwriting it anymore i mean is there any politician who's willing to fill the void of uh, finding out what happens when we when we do cut them off and like is willing to reap any potential political benefit in this country for doing so i mean like i said like it you know if 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 you or your relatives are like partisan democrats and you're really really interested in there not being a second uh trump presidency then like the most important thing you can do right now is be protesting against this war and be demanding that biden resign because, like, yeah. I mean, like, there's there's no turning back for Biden. Like, at this point, like, the only honorable thing for him to do is resign. Like, I mean, change course, but resign. Because, like, he can no longer be the leader of this country or the or much let alone a, a party that represents supposedly represents progressive or liberal values. Like, the only thing that Biden could possibly do would be, like, to send to send, like, a, a detachment of Marines into Israel to disable all their nukes. That would be the only way he could like separate himself from this policy. 
And, you know, I'll say, like, I mean, f- fuck the election. I mean, like, I think if you're listening to the show, you probably know where we're at on that. But it's just like, if, if you would like to, I don't know, like, protest to save lives in Gaza if you're in the West, like in America or Europe, but like, protest because you could be saving your own life at some point in the future if we don't end this shit now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, it's out of control. I mean, this is going to redound back on, on us in, in some big way at some point. We're not even going to know how or, or when, but uh, you, don't, you don't get away with this kind of shit without some kind of backlash. No, and like, and the thing is, like, we get away with so much shit. We get away with so much murder and horror, but this is categorically on another level, and it's happening in front of the entire world's eyes, and there is really no turning back from it at this point. I mean, no, we, I mean, like, look, look, we can turn back from it anytime if we wanted to, but like, what we've done so far, we're never, like, we're, we're never washing that away, even if we did a 180 right now, and that would involve the resignation of Biden and his entire cabinet. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't have anything else to add to yeah, that. I, I got, I, right. yeah, I guess I don't have anything else to say on for the rest of the show as well. Let's, yeah. let's, let's wrap, let's wrap it up there. Uh, Derek, uh, thanks for, thanks for coming, thanks for joining us for another, another, uh, another fun, another happy episode. episode. Yeah, another, yeah. another happy, another happy right. Chapo happy hour we're doing on Mondays now. But uh, Derek, obviously, American Prestige still going. Uh, people want more Derek Davison. Where should they? Where should they? Where should they go? What should they do? Uh, yeah, American Prestige, uh, AmericanPrestigePod.com. Uh, foreign Exchanges is my newsletter. Uh, foreign Exchanges, one word. Dot news or fx.substack.com. If you're still using that, I guess you know Substack. Uh, it's all a rich tapestry, but still, uh, I'm still there. So, uh, you know, well, the newsletter is still out. great and I highly recommend yes. it for anyone who wants to make sense of what's going on in the world, often in parts Thanks, of the guys. world that are, don't make the headlines before we sign off. Um, can I just say like a quick, um, you know, uh, I know we've talked about a lot today. Um, I, I, you know, we've had some laughs, but, um, this is still, it's a sad day. I want to say rest in peace to my friend, all our friend, really. This guy was a friend of the show. Captain Yair Idu Netanyahu, a.k.a. He was called, by, but he was, you know, called by his underlings, Captain Netanyahu, but his friends called him Dangerous Sniper. Yeah, dangerous. So what a what a fucking nickname, man. I mean, that is just Netanyahu's nephew. Uh he's called Dangerous Sniper. I mean, American Sniper was already taken. Yeah. <laughs> Philadelphia <laughs> Sniper, maybe. I I, I, I don't amazing. know. I it actually I don't know. Sputnik's the only place that's saying he was killed, so like who knows? But Dangerous Sniper is so fucking funny. <laughs> that's his <laughs> nickname. What the fuck? <laughs> Like maybe they do this with everybody. Like the guy who's on the radio is like good, calm, good radio man. (laughs) Yeah, that's just how they do nicknames in these really. uh, Yeah, as as we've seen from their from their uh, number one base, a number one satire show, satire based show in Israel. Their their penchant for nicknames and uh, humor leaves a lot to be lacking. Leaves a lot to be desired. Oh my god! All right. <laughs> R- RIP Good Sniper, and thank you again to Derek Davison for joining <laughs> yeah. us today. Condolences to Thanks, his guys. best. Condolences to his best friend, Good Gunman. <laughs> Kojima's big, involved big, with the Israeli yeah, military, the demolitions you know? expert, yeah. big explosion man. I mean, you know, all the all the guys in the unit. It's it's great. 
<laughs> Thank you, Derek. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm working on a screenplay about all these guys called The Rude Dozen. <laughs> <laughs> all right till next time everybody bye bye <laughs> bye <laughs>